the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. We are doing a series called A Time Like This. And we are going through the book of Esther. Last week, we finished in chapter four. And I'm just going to do like a quick recap. And then we're going to get into chapter five and six today. So we learn um, in the first four chapters that Esther is a Jew, an orphan that has been raised by Mordecai. Um, We see the king in his banquet and his feast getting excited. His queen disrespects disrespects him and he decides to have her vanished um, and then puts on this big pageant to find a new queen, which Esther wins uh, because of her beauty. But nobody knows that she's a Jew. We also have another key character called Haman, who is really close to the king, one of the top advisors, and he's got hella insecurities because he wants everybody to bow down to him and accept him and affirm him. And Mordecai is the guy that's just like, no, I'm not going to bow down to you. And so he he's taken this to his heart, like he's really upset about it, it's making him feel sad. And he devises this plan to create a genocide and just kill off all the Jews because Mordecai is rude, so everybody deserves to die. Mordecai then tells Esther, um, this is what's going on. And Esther's kind of like, well, you know, I can't really do nothing. I am in the palace, no one knows I'm a Jew. And Mordecai's like, yeah, but you are a Jew and it's gonna reach you too. She then decides that maybe I need to do something about this. And she says that she's gonna go and see the king. And what the rule was is that if the king didn't summon you and you just turned up, like you just rolled up in his presence, that he could just off your head in it because who asked you to come? No one gave you permission. So she was putting herself in danger in order to do this thing and Mordecai is saying to her like maybe the reason why you're in this place is so that you can do this thing and save our people and so we ended the chapter where she is asking him to get all the Jews to fast and she's going to go to the king and she's like if I perish I perish so we enter chapter five in the beginning of Esther's plan So she has asked them to fast for three days. And on the third day of the fast, she has put on her royal robes and she has gone to see the king. So she's made sure she looks on point, okay? She's not going there in her pajamas. Like she she looks up, like he hasn't seen her for a whole month. She hasn't been called into his presence. So she made sure she put on her best garments and goes to see the king. The king um, sees her and holds out his scepter, which means, I'm not going to kill you, you can come. And he asks her, what is your request? I will give it to you up until half the kingdom. And she says, "Um, please come to a banquet, come to a feast that I have prepared for you. This is wisdom, okay? She didn't just roll up in there talking about, oh, I'm a Jew, Um, please save me. Like, she's got a plan. The plan is, feed the men first before you take your request to them give them food and drink first okay um so we see that Haman's also there and he's also invited 
to the feast. And so she lays on this massive spread. They eat, they drink, everything's great. And the king's like, okay, like, you're doing a lot. Like, what, what is it you want? Like, what do you really want? And she's like, oh, I'll tell you tomorrow. Just come back to another, for another feast tomorrow. She's delaying it. Um, and he's like, okay, fine. We know that the king likes to party. He obviously likes to eat. So he's like, fine, yeah, I'll come tomorrow. Um, so they've left this merriment and Haman leaves, obviously feeling very um, up himself because he was invited to this great feast that the queen had prepared. And only he was invited, so he's obviously very important. So he leaves, we're in verse nine. He leaves and he's joyful, he's happy, he's gassed of his own supply. And he goes to the gate. He's at the gate. Mordecai's at the gate. And again, Mordecai's not giving him no respect. He's not rising, he's not trembling, he doesn't care about his life at all. And so it says that Haman was filled with wrath. So from being joyful in the palace to get into the gate, he's now vexed because of Mordecai. But he doesn't do anything about it. And this is the, the first thing that we need to look at in terms of timing and God's providence. It says in verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. It wasn't time for him to do anything about his wrath. So he goes and he complains to his friend and his wife. So he's talking to them about everything that he's got, the riches, the promotions, he's doing so well. And then he said, oh, and even Queen Esther, like, let me come to this feast and I'm going again tomorrow. And he says, this is worth nothing to me as long as Mordecai is at the king's gate. Which is a bit mad because he just told everybody like all of these great things. But he's like, I can't enjoy anything because Mordecai won't bow to me. Um, so his world is full of success and material things and achievements and ambitions. But one man can make him feel worthless. So we know that Haman is really insecure about himself. Um, and he's not going to feel pleased until he gets what he wants. So his wife says to him, and she, she's a whole bad mind, but yeah, his wife says, um, just build a gallows and then tomorrow tell the king to hang Mordecai on it. And then you can go to the feast and be happy and you can enjoy yourself because he'll be dead and so he won't take away your joy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's great. And he built the gallows. And I wanted to explain to you quickly, because we don't have gallows now, what that would have looked like. So the gallows was for violently killing and displaying a victim. So they put a pointed stake in the ground and then they would put the culprit on top of the stake and then drag them, drag their body through the stake until it came out of their neck. And then they would just leave them there to die. Um, and it was so everybody could gather around and see. So it wasn't like, um, you know, like if somebody was getting hanged, that could be quite like quicker. It was like a really slow, humiliating death. Um, because we have to remember that Haman has al already got the king to agree to the genocide of the Jews, which means Mordecai would have got killed already. Like he's already going to die. But he does, that's not enough for him. He can't wait. He's like, I can't wait for this date that we've set. It's got to be done tomorrow so that I can feel better about myself. So that's the end of verse five, okay? So all these plans are in place. So Esther has a plan. Tomorrow, I'm going to tell the king what I really want. Haman's got a plan. Tomorrow, I'm going to kill off Mordecai. 
Mordecai knows that things, he's just waiting for God to, to change things or for things to change. So all of these different characters know that tomorrow is a big day. Except the king. All the king knows is he's going to get more food and his wife's going to serve him and that's great. But when we go to chapter six, it's only the king that can't sleep. Right? If I was Esther, I might be a little bit anxious about tomorrow. How am I going to ask the king? What's he going to do? If I reveal to him I'm a Jew, like how is this going to go down? I might be up all night worrying. If I was Haman, I might be so excited that I'm going to dead off Mordecai in the morning that I can't sleep. But it's the king that can't sleep. And we see that he can't sleep and he asks for them to bring the record of memorable deeds and somebody to read to him. Um, so, you know, like reading to your kids before bedtime, like it's a biblical principle, you know, it helps, like helps put you to sleep. Um, so here again, we see God's hand in the situation because he could have asked for anything to help him sleep. He could have said, come sing to me. He could have said, go make me hot chocolate. He could have said, somebody rub my feet. But he says, no, I want someone to read these books. And the Chronicles, there's a lot of books. The person picked the specific book and then the specific page that has the story of Mordecai saving the king in it. Why is this important? Because later, Haman's going to come to try to dead off Mordecai. But in this time, before he can do that, God is reminding the king what Mordecai has done for him. So he hears this story and he's like, this man saved my life. What did we do for him? They're like, nothing. You didn't do jack. You haven't done anything for him at all. So as he's thinking about what should be done, they, um, he says, Who, who's in the court? And who has arrived? Haman. Perfect timing, right? Haman's like, he's got up early, yeah? Because it must be early in the morning because the king still hasn't slept yet. And he's arrived to make his plan known um, to the king. And the king has just listened to how great Mordecai is and he's ready to honour him. And they're meeting in this time. Now, neither of them knows what the other person is thinking. We have this bird's eye view and we know what's going on. Like when you're watching a film and you can tell what's about to happen, they don't know. So Haman comes um, to the king um, to speak about killing off Mordecai. And the king says to him, what should be done to a man that the king delights in? And Haman is so proud. He's like, who else could could he be talking about? Must be me. Um, I am the one that has favour with the king's sight. So he lists off these things that he would want to be done for him. So he's like, well... You know, he should wear the royal robes and he should be on the horse that the king has ridden and have a crown and he should be led through the city and everybody should hear this is what is done to the man um, who the king delights in. And I thought this was really interesting because what Haman wanted was public attention, right? Because if it was me, what should be done to the king who delights him? I'd like some land, houses, some more riches, like get me a palace for myself. But we can see Haman's insecurity. He's like, no, tell everybody that you love me in it. Put me in this place with your crown, on your horse, with your robes, and just parade me through going, the king delights in me, the king delights in me. Like just this spectacle um, of nonsense that he wants. So um, it obviously pleases the king. The king says, oh, yeah, that's great. Like, what you just said, you see Mordecai at the gate, go and do that for him. 
Can you imagine how Haman is feeling in this exact moment? He's come to dead off Mordecai to kill him. And the king says, no, I'm actually going to honour him with what you want for yourself. Go and do it to the man that you hate and that you want dead. So not only is this going to happen to Mordecai, Haman has to be the one to put on his robes, to put on the crown, to put him on the horse, and he has to declare to the city, this is what is done to the man that the king delights in. He must have been vexed. Very, very, very vexed. Um, So, what can we see through this chapter? So, things are turning around in the story. That's the main thing that's happening. And this happens with something as insignificant as a king not being able to sleep. Because if he slept free that night, that next part wouldn't have happened. Because he wouldn't have heard about Mordecai, he wouldn't have decided to honour him, Haman would have come and been like, I've got this gallows ready for this disrespectful man. And the way the king just does whatever Haman says, he would have been like, all right, cool, yeah, like, just dead him off in it if it makes you feel better. So we see that God's providence is in this, this small thing, this small thing. And <clears throat> what we have to understand is that there's no coincidences timing is everything in this story and so if we think about our own lives so for example if I couldn't sleep and this happens a lot because I have a three-year-old and she'd be up just unexpectedly in the night right if I can't sleep usually I'm vexed in it because sleep is very precious to me and so I'll wake up and have to deal with her put her back to sleep and all I want to do is go back to sleep I'm not thinking oh this would be a good time to talk to Jesus or like pray or intercede or do things or check my phone or have a conversation with somebody I'm just like nah I just need to go to bed it's like I'm, I'm really upset if for example like it could be a small thing like you missed your train And really, you should be irritated and frustrated because you missed your train. But missing your train made you meet somebody that you hadn't seen for five years that led to something else happening. Like, these are the little things that can often feel like inconveniences and frustrations that allow us to go through things that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it's just really thinking about how God is moving through this story. He's not getting any credit for it because he's not mentioned in the book at all. But it's very clear to the reader that none of this is coincidence. There's no coincidence that's happening in this story right now. So I want to just look quickly at two other verses in the Bible. Romans 8, verse 28 says, All things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that says everything is working for your good. Everything, good and bad, and in the middle, everything is working together for good. And also Genesis 50 verse 20 says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for my good. And I want to just quickly give an example of this. So I was working in a really good job. Um, Everything was going great, apart from I had one regional manager that didn't like me. Um, and she was sent from the pits of hell to try me, okay? Um, And everything was going great. Like, uh, I was pregnant at the time and just, like, working late hours with youth clubs, with dangerous young people, but just, like, enjoying life. And this woman decided to plot against me and get me suspended 
for something I didn't do. So I got suspended from my job um, with full pay. And at the time, it was really stressful because I was like, but, you know, what's happening? I had to do all these interviews. They were interrogating me in rooms and recording me and just acting like I'd done some criminal offence. And I was stressed about it. And I was like, really, God, like, what is going on? Why, why am I going through this? I haven't done anything wrong. And at that same time, I, my pregnancy was um, be- becoming complicated to the point that I needed to be at the hospital every day for, for them to check me. So if I hadn't got suspended, I would have been taking lots of sick days or I would have had to take my maternity leave early because I needed to be in the hospital. But God allowed me to get suspended on full pay so I could go sit in the hospital, right? So that meant I wasn't stressed out. My anxiety was low because I didn't have to deal with work. We were still getting money in, so it wasn't a problem. But at the time, it really felt like I was going through a bad thing, like this, this, why is she doing this to me, et cetera, et cetera. And then it turned around even better for my goods because then when, I, when it was time for me to go back, so they... they figured out that I didn't do anything wrong, right? So the suspension got lifted and I was on maternity leave. They were paying me maternity pay. And it came to the point where it was time for me to go back to work. And I said to my union rep, like, "Mm, I don't really want to work for people that want to plot against me, to be fair. So I don't really want to come back. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to go and talk to them about it. And I just thought I was going to get, like, some small, small redundancy pay, Yeah. And Jesus said, no, that's not what's going to happen. So then I get this email from my union rep going, oh, okay, just read this contract and just, like, see what you think. So I'm reading it, and there's, there's numbers, yeah, that are just adding up to, like, 24K. And I, I looked at the numbers, and I was like, do I just pick one? Because it was, like, seven grand here, nine grand. I was like, do I just pick the one that I want, like, the highest one? So I called him back. He was like, no, like, you add it up. And, like, you get all of it, innit? And I was like, really? He was like, yeah. You know, I just went in there and I fought for you and I just said, you know, all of this stress that they put on you and they need to compensate you for this and compensate you for that. And I was like, Jesus, I will take the money, okay? I will. So at the end of it, like, at the end, all of that thing has happened. At the end, I now look back and I go, wow, God, like, you put this in place so that I, because you knew what was coming up, because you knew what was going to happen and you knew what I needed. But while I was going through it, I didn't even want to tell people that I got suspended. I didn't want to tell people like, oh, I'm on suspension. Like, they had me coming in, signing on every week, like going to see this little man in a room going, yeah, like I'm here. And just going back, like traveling to Hackney just to sign a piece of paper and come back was, it was long. But God meant it for my good. Like all these things, she had meant to, like ruining my whole career, my reputation. But at the end of it, it worked together for my good in this massive way. So that's just an example, like my personal example of how I've seen God's hand. Um, but also I want to, to encourage you to think about where God has positioned you because Mordecai says to Esther, maybe you were called into the palace for such a time as this, like you've been put in this place but not just for yourself, because there's something that God wants you to do for his purposes. And a lot of the times we're in a lot of positions where we're just, we're just going to work and we're just doing like our job, but like we're not thinking about, is there something else God wants me to do in this place? So another example, like when I, this is like my first job after uni 
I was working in this crew with these um, kids that had challenging behaviour and special needs. And I got there and I realised like, that one of the women was a Christian, like she was saved. And we were talking about like the, the behaviour was bad, like kids were escaping, climbing trees, they were smearing poo all over the walls, like it, it was chaos. Um, and throwing like throwing chairs, throwing tables, like just the whole shebang. And there was this one girl that I got allocated <clears throat> that had the worst behaviour in the whole school. And so I was talking to her and she was like, I feel like we should come early and and pray over the rooms and pray over the like the classrooms and the school and like walk around and um, just take back the school. And I'm young, innit? And like deliverance is, was not my ministry. And I was like, um, I hear what you're saying, uh, but like, really? She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, so we're praying over these rooms and we're coming in early to do this. And things started settling down, like there was definitely more peace. And so then we didn't usually get put together, but this one day we get put together with my young person, the one with the most challenging behavior. And she says to her, oh, how is your weekend, how are you, or something like that. And she's like, oh, I'm good, you know, God's been good to me. When I tell you, this young person became a whole demon. Her voice changed, her personality, everything was different. This nasty voice came out, but like, don't say that name. I was like, um, tap out, what's going on? <laughs> so me, I'm like, okay, let's, let's just concentrate on geography. Like, you know, let's not go into this, this discussion. But um, my colleague was like, what name? Jesus, Jesus, she don't want me to say the name Jesus. So she's like really going out with this girl and like she she gets mad right and mad in a in a totally different way that I've ever seen and so she she tries to strangle the colleague right and I'm like um I don't know what to do here like I'm really like I don't know what to do so there's madness going off and um part of me is just like Jesus like I don't like, I know you're real and stuff, and um, this would be a great time for you to make an appearance because <laughs> I really feel underqualified for this situation. And that whole day, like, she was, she was popping off. And I knew that it wasn't her, because what would happen is she would have an episode, and then after the episode, she wouldn't remember anything that happened, anything she did or said. Like, she, she didn't have any recollection of it. So that same day at lunchtime, she is, she's going nuts again, and um, it's just me, this colleague, and her. And my colleague's like, oh, we're going to do deliverance on her. I was like, her? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, you know, she's being tormented by this, by this spirit and we need to, like, release her. And I was like, um, yeah, about that. Like, I didn't know what she... I knew what she was telling me to do, but I had no blueprint for that, how to do this in a school setting with other people... You're not supposed to be talking about your faith. I'm sure I signed something that said I wasn't <laughs> going to do that. Um, <laughs> so we're so we're in this room, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, Jesus, like you want this girl to be free? Cool. We're just, I'm just going to trust you, and we're just going to do that. So we start, we start praying, and um, like she, she's like she's going off. Yeah, she's doing she's doing the most. She's shouting, screaming, rolling around on the floor, all of these things, and she leaves the. Um, so so by now the school knows that there's a problem right so they want to shut it down so they've locked us 
in the um, <laughs> in the cafeteria. Like they locked the door with a key, okay? And I want to tell you that this 12 year old bust open the door that was locked, okay? Because when, yeah. So anyway, so we, we decide that she's like, no, we're gonna sort it out, leave us in her with her. And I'm just like, what? Like Calvary is here, I don't know what you're saying. Um, but anyway, so this was like a really test of my faith of like, I believe God can free people. Do I believe this only happens in church settings? Do I only believe this happens on a Sunday? So we're, we're praying. She's speaking, in, she's speaking in tongues. She's casting out things. And I'm just like, Lord, if it is your will, okay, just come down and do something. And, like, she settles down, right, to the point where she's, she's weak. Like, she, she, like, collapses and she's crying. And, like, she talks about um, this time where she, um, she felt like a... A spirit had come into her room when she was young and like all of these things like these behaviors were not her and she didn't know how to control it so we've done this this prayer and this madness in this school okay and um we're covering her we're talking to her we're praying over her house and her room and her mom and everything and what i saw after that day like so all the other teachers are scared of her now yeah because she went crazy right she bust open a locked door and we're not really sure we can have her in the school anymore. But after that day, she became a totally different child. Like, she never had any other outbursts. Her nan came in and was like, what did you do to her? And we were just like, oh, you know, just, um, <laughs> just love and attention. You know, just these, these new strategies that we found on the internet, you know, just been trying some new things to the point where they had... Um, said that she was going to go to a special school. They were going to send her to, like, a, a residential school where she would live because her nan was like, I can't control her at home, I can't deal with her. But what happened was she actually went to normal school. Like, she, she went, she integrated back into, into normal school. And that was, like, a really big thing for me because my faith was really small at that time. And talk about mustard seeds, I don't even think it was that big. I was like, God, like, I, don't know, I don't know what's happening. Um, but I saw that he had used me. Like, the reason why I got her was so that this that could have happened. Um, so I really want us to think about where we positioned and what is God's purpose for us in that place? And are we willing to do it if it's crazy? Like, Esther didn't have any... Like, God didn't send an angel to come down to her and say, you're going to go to the king and he's going to accept it and everything's going to be fine. Like, she knew that she was going to enter a dangerous place and she was still willing to take that first step. She had that courage and that boldness to still say, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And a lot of the times, like, we are reluctant to step out to do this new thing because we're not aware of what's going to happen. And so the things that I want to leave with you about Esther is that um, God has a plan um, and a plan that we can't see so Esther didn't know what Haman was planning she didn't know that the king couldn't sleep she didn't know all of the things that God had put into place around her um, for his purpose to be done she only could see from her own perspective and a lot of the times we are also restricted by our perspective but we have to trust that God is working in the in the, in the world around us the second thing is that we are given moments where we can alter situations and those could be very small moments like not being able to sleep or like meeting up with somebody that we weren't expecting 
or like just getting a phone call that could change our whole course of life. Um, and to not see those as coincidences or luck or chance, but like God, God is doing a work. Courage is important and we should be willing to step out um, when we feel led to. So those are my closing things. Um, and I really believe that the things that we wrote down, that we're asking God to move in our lives and shift, that we will see that happen for us, even if it's not in a conventional way or a way that we expect. So yeah, I'm going to pray and then that'll be the end. Father, Lord God, we thank you for the story of Esther. We thank you that you have written it to show us how your providence and your sovereignty works um, in a day-to-day basis when we can't see and we don't understand and we don't know the wheels that are turning on our behalf, but we can see how you used people and you used opportunities and situations to turn it around for their good, for the Jews, for Mordecai, for Esther. And we pray, Lord God, that you would just give us that faith that even when we cannot see, that we will believe that all things are working together for our good. I pray that even when we have trials and when we have situations in our life that we feel like are not shifting or we're not hearing you or nothing is changing for us, that we can be encouraged by this story and know that even as you have done it for Esther, you can do it for us and nothing is impossible for you. We pray, God, that you would just help us to be willing in the positions that you have placed us in to do things that would allow your purposes to be done and for you to get the glory and we ask that just over this week you will encourage us and remind us of these words and so that our spirit can be lifted and that we can be encouraged and encourage others in their situations with this story in Jesus name amen all right really hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london